Our scripture reading this morning is from Philippians chapter 3. This is on page 1140 in your pew Bibles. And I'll start reading with verse 17 and moving down into chapter 4 through to verse 9. Join with others in following my examples, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is unearthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Sintichi to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and by and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Thank you, Lord, for your word and just how it impacts our hearts today on this very special day of the year when so many of us in different parts of the world pause to remember your birth, the fact that you came to us in a body like ours, you the creator of everything, we can't even imagine how that could be. And yet we know it's true. I pray that these thoughts will transform us today and for this week. And as we think about 
traveling into the new year. Help us, Lord, to think about the future with a new vision of who we are in our hearts and in our minds and who we can be in you and to think about wonderful things, the wonderful things from your word because we know, Lord, that we have the, the, the mind of Messiah that you've given us through your spirit. I pray for Pastor Yuri this morning as he brings us your word for this day. Pray that you give him joy and liberty in speaking your words. In the name of Jesus, amen. Ordinarily, I wouldn't dare bring coffee into the pulpit, um, but actually it's just to help me to remember uh, to thank um, the people who showed up early this morning, Christmas morning, to help us worship more effectively this morning. And uh, earlier this week, um, Rose and Michelle, independently and yet very, became very apparent very quickly, they both wanted to come early and make coffee for you this morning so that you'd have something to, to drink on a cold Christmas morning when you may have felt, oh, Christmas morning and I'm off to church. So thank you, Rose, and thank you to Michelle. And it's not a product placement, so I'm trying to just put the um, snowman in the front. And I'd also like to give a huge thank you both to uh, Joel Mogilevsky and also to Dan McRoar, who week in and week out so faithfully serve us every week. Um, faith, uh, Dan helps us, of course, to be able to see uh, the words that are, are being spoken or sung, and uh, he has done that for so long and so faithfully and with ever, never a complaint, never a murmuring at all, just always happy to serve. So thank you so much to you, Dan. And the same I could say about Joel as well. Every week, pretty much, he's serving here, um, helping us through the live stream. Ne those of you who are watching through the live stream, next time you see Joel, please give him a thank you. Um, he just, uh, is, just has a wonderful servant's heart. And I'd also like to thank Rich as well. Rich is helping um, with our, our live stream as well, so that when I um, say words or I've asked for words to be projected, they are able to be seen on the screen that you're watching at home. All this takes effort and it takes time. And um, it takes people to, who come and give of their time um, to do it so that um, you can worship more effectively and more easily. So thank you, Richard. Thank you to Joel. And thank you to all who have helped on our AV team. <clears throat> well, the book of Proverbs speaks of the friend who sticks closer than a brother. But in the modern world, we mostly only have acquaintances, or at best, alliances, or fandoms. Sad as it is to say, most people, and particularly most men, find it incredibly hard to make good friends, let alone a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Well, I'm blessed to be able to say that in that regard, I'm a bit of an outlier. I've known many friends 
many men who I would call close friends. But if I were asked, of all those I've been privileged to call friend, which would I say sticks closer than a brother? Well, this man would leap to my mind. This picture was just taken on Monday. Life being what it is, he and I rarely see one another outside of work. But we've served together at the symphony for about 20 years. From where he sits, he can always see me, and I can always hear him, usually about 20 feet off my left ear. And if you were to come backstage at the concert hall on any given day, it's more than likely that before and after rehearsals and concerts, on work breaks and lunch breaks, you'll find us together. Part of this closeness comes from the kind of work that we do, which is unique even in the orchestra. Because in an orchestra, the cellos and the basses often play the same notes, more often than any other pair of distinct instruments. We are the foundation of an orchestra's sound. Together with the timpani, we set the pace, the energy, and the overall tone for the whole group. So my friend Meredith and I have a lot to sort out. But of course, we're professionals, so we could do all of that without being friends. It helps that we like each other, though. And over the years, we've been through a lot together, too. Yet the closeness we enjoy is not obvious or predictable. We're really different in many ways. We have rather different personalities, and we come from very different places. I'm from Alberta. Meredith is from... Alabama. We often approach problems with a different perspective, sometimes even with a different set of priorities. We have different ears, different strengths, different weaknesses, and so we have misunderstandings from time to time. Given the pressure we're under to produce high-quality music in a very short time, we have our fleeting moments of crankiness, and we have had the odd crisis. But still, the process of working through our differences makes us appreciate one another all the more. We always look forward to seeing each other. I'm just smiling thinking about my friend Meredith. We trust one another without question. We can usually anticipate what the other is going to do. We pull together. We are, to use Paul's phrase in the passage we just heard, yoke fellows. We have learned to be of the same mind. This may seem like an odd emphasis for a Christmas message. Christmas comes on a Sunday only once every seven years, after all. Preaching on Christmas morning, what an opportunity to wax eloquent about angels and mangers and shepherds and all kinds of stuff like that. To be honest, I was first drawn to this passage for Christmas because of the well-known words that I took 
for the title of today's sermon, Rejoice, the Lord is near. And we'll be focusing on verses 4 and 5 of Philippians 4. But as so often happens, as I studied and prepared, it became clearer why the Holy Spirit led me to this particular passage so late in the game after considering a lot of other options, some a lot more obvious, some a lot more obscure. Here is the reality of this and pretty much every other Christmas. Whether or not you admit it, you're going to be disappointed. The perfect Christmas only exists as a composite, a, mish, a composite, a mishmash, a haze of past memories blurred into one. Because eventually you forget about how you were hit with that nasty cold, or how stressed out you were about your company's Christmas party, or the jealousy and scorn you suppressed at those who seemed to have it all together. Cards and wrapping paper bought on last year's Boxing Day, gifts for all and sundry purchased and set aside throughout the year, menu planned Thanksgiving weekend, annual Christmas letter sent mid-November, tree trimmed by the first Sunday of Advent, gingerbread and shortbread, sugar cookies and fruitcake baked and ready for distribution, ethically sourced turkey, frozen well in advance, and at the perfect time set to thawing in the fridge, so that all that's left for December is working the mission clothing drive, and in the evenings, basking in front of a roaring fire, sipping eggnog. Don't you hate people like that? But the petty material disappointments of Christmas are nothing, compared to the ways that some of the people closest to you are going to let you down. Today, your favorite people in the world will fail to show up yet again. Others will say things that will make you wish they had just stayed home or that you had. Some of you will feel overwhelmed by your company. Some of you will be all alone. You may be surprised to hear that it was into this kind of fraught social dynamic that Paul wrote his letter to the Philippians. If you're familiar with this letter, you will be surprised to hear me say that because you'll know that it's one of the most affectionate, most positive books in the whole Bible. Although Paul didn't spend a lot of time in Philippi, if this letter is anything to go on, and I think it is, the church there was the one he felt the warmest about. But throughout the letter, you find suggestions that all was not well. They faced pressure on all sides. They were dirt poor to begin with. Their fellow Romans and Greeks mocked the Gentile believers relentlessly for their pretentious faith in a Jewish Messiah. Their fellow Jews kept telling the circumcised believers to give up their delusions of a man who was also God. But there was also pressure from the inside, and that was what especially threatened to explode. In our passage, Paul names two women, Yodia and Syntyche. 
who were at odds with one another. And they weren't on the fringes of the church either. They were, as Paul says, those who labored side by side with him. True Christians, Christian leaders, in fact, some of the very first believers in Philippi. They were people who should know better. Paul was obviously familiar with the situation. He probably had an opinion, but he didn't take sides. Instead, he exhorted the church, his loyal yoke fellow, to help these women. It's that situation that prompted the famous sentences that we're considering today. How are Christians to deal with interpersonal conflict? How are we to grapple with the disappointment of being let down by the people we love? Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice? Did I hear that correctly? Well, Paul seems to anticipate that reaction since he immediately doubles down. I will say it again, rejoice. But how can we rejoice when we feel like we're at each other's throats? Well, as we seek an answer to that question, it'll be helpful to examine this word, rejoice, a word that Paul uses in this letter more than in any of his other letters. He uses a, this word or a word like it 13 times. The verb is very common in the rest of the New Testament, so by looking at all the uses of it, we can glean a good sense of it. This Greek word, kaire, basically means to be glad or happy. In the Bible, we're told it's what you feel when you witness something amazing, like a miracle. That's rejoicing. It's what you feel when you find something that was missing, like a lost sheep or a long-lost son. That's rejoicing. It's what a self-absorbed, stubby little outsider up a tree felt when kindness, friendship, and forgiveness were unexpectedly offered to him. That's rejoicing. It's what a mysterious group of stargazers felt when the astral body they only caught a fleeting glimpse of suddenly popped back into view and mysteriously settled over an infant's house. That's rejoicing. Rejoicing in the Bible is the satisfaction you find in meaningful work. It's perceiving a teachable moment. It's seeing the light of recognition finally dawn on your dull students' faces. Rejoicing is enjoying the good fortune of others. Rejoicing is also anticipation. Seeing something good on the horizon the reward for your hard work, the imminent arrival of your fiancé, the coming reign of a good king, the right king, strong, gentle, and just. Rejoicing is the seething energy of God's purposes being realized. 
Rejoicing, in other words, is the good feeling we get when the thing we were hoping for actually happens. Of course, if what we're hoping for is not a good thing, rejoicing is the good feeling that betrays a bad heart. So in the Bible, people also rejoice when they perceive that they've gained the upper hand, when a nasty scheme serendipitously comes together. Finally, it bears mentioning here, and this is key to understanding our passage from Philippians, that according to Jesus, a lack of rejoicing over something good reveals a heart that is stone cold, a heart that is all out of faith. I'm going to say that again. A lack of rejoicing over something good reveals a heart that is stone cold a heart that is all out of faith. Jesus said to his apostles just before he went to the cross, you heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father and as I just told you, he will send you the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul tells the Philippians not simply to rejoice, but to rejoice in the Lord. He is not saying, like so many glib armchair psychologists do, those problems are all in your head. Or, don't sweat the small stuff, and it's all small stuff. Or, worst of all, don't worry, be happy. The problems we wrestle with are real. And they're not going to go away just because we will them to. With apologies to Walt Disney and Jiminy Cricket, when you wish upon a star, your dreams do not come true. What kind of crazy Christmas talk is that, Pastor Yuri? No, denying reality is just a fool's game. But still, as Christians, we have, or at least we should have, the ongoing awareness of an even greater reality than we could ever possibly dream up on our own. We are always and forever in the Lord. We are in the Lord. The Holy Spirit, who the Father sent to us when Jesus' time on earth was done, that is the Spirit of Christ himself, dwells within us, uniting us to Christ. We are in the Lord. Incidentally, that is the true hope, the true gift of Christmas, not the baby lying in the manger, not some idle fantasy to go back to Bethlehem and live when Jesus lived. As special and unique as that time was, it is important to remember that, as we just heard him tell his disciples, it's far more important to realize that it is because he has come and gone that he is always near to those who are united with him by his spirit. That, that is the source of our otherwise inexplicable joy. That is the basis also of our responsibility to love others, because we can now literally see them as Jesus sees them. Being in the Lord is the only ground upon which we can expect to bring peace to the world.
The Lord is near. That's, of course, also a reference to the fact that Jesus is coming again. And incidentally, that is the true meaning of Advent. He has come, and he is coming again. In the Lord, we anticipate, we rejoice in the knowledge that he is coming. That joy stirs us to reconcile and be agents of reconciliation, to be at peace with one another and the world, and to be peacemakers. We are, to use Paul's phrase again, loyal yoke fellows with Christ and with one another. We have a duty as loyal yoke fellows and a privilege as loyal yoke fellows to work together, to be to one another friends closer than a brother. But to do that, we must commit to being together, to plowing the field side by side. It's only there, it's only by mucking about in the trenches together that we will gain the deep trust and the intuition, the unity we need to accomplish God's purposes for us here, in this place, in this time, among these people. We must be of one mind. And that's literally what Paul writes in verse 3, where you see the word agree. Literally, it is being of one mind. So it's not that we must agree in some superficial way about every issue or there's some big problem in the church. Faithful Christians will have different opinions and convictions about all sorts of things. The Bible makes that abundantly clear. But in one mind, even when our notes sound different, they can blend harmoniously. They can weave an intricate counterpoint. But again, only if we are of one mind, only if we are of one accord. So today, and throughout this season, as you go home, or you're visiting, if you're on your own, or whether you're inundated with unwanted guests, or even if you have one of those rare Christmases where everything feels just about right, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. I will say it again, rejoice. Join in the singing that tells of his coming, even if it's just you listening to the radio or on YouTube. If you are in the Lord, he is always there in and around and beside you. Enjoy those family gatherings and dinners. Even enjoy the relatives and guests who say the things that should have been left unsaid. See them in the Lord. Ask him to help you to perceive them with his eyes. Long for those who are missing, but rejoice 
in the Lord, anticipating the eternal day when time and space will be no obstacle, when he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And make plans over these next couple of weeks. Make plans with your fellow loyal yoke fellows in this congregation. Dream of how you will help every heart in our community prepare him room by next year. Because whether you rejoice or not, the Lord is near. How much better is it to acknowledge and embrace it, to appreciate and benefit from that fact that you are in him and that he is coming, even if you don't sense his presence next to you, immediately beside you, in and around you. How much better to dream of reality, capital R, that greater reality of your eternal existence in the Lord, than to cling to the tinsel hope of some supposed Christmas miracle. In that way, any disappointments will fade, as so too eventually and inevitably will the gifts and trappings of even the best of Christmas seasons. But you will be left eternally with the satisfaction and joy that you can only find in his Advent. Let's pray together. This is a prayer taken, actually bound together from two different prayers in the collection of Puritan prayers known as the Valley of Vision. Let's bow together. O Christ, Messiah. All your ways of mercy tend to and end in our delight. You did weep, sorrow, suffer, that we might rejoice. For our joy, you have sent the Comforter, multiplied your promises showed us our future happiness, given us a living fountain. You are preparing joy for us and us for joy. We pray for joy, wait for joy, long for joy. Give us more than we can hold, more than we desire, more than we can think of. Measure out to us our times and degrees of joy at our work, at our place of business, in our duties. If we weep at night, give us joy in the morning. There is no joy like the joy of heaven, O Lord, for in that state are no sad divisions 
No unchristian quarrels, no contentions, no evil designs, no weariness, no hunger, no cold, no sadness, no sin, no suffering, no persecutions, no toils of duty. O oh God, may our words and works allure others to the highest walks of faith and love. May they be quickened to greater diligence by our example. May they be one to delight in acquaintance with you. May they be warned of coming doom by our zeal for Jesus. Cause us to be mirrors of your grace to show others the joy of your service. May our lips be well-tuned symbols sounding your praise. Let a halo of heavenly-mindedness sparkle around us, and a lamp of kindness sunbeam our paths. Teach us the happy art of attending to things temporal with a mind intent on things eternal. Amen. As a benediction today, I'd like to offer a hymn from Philippians 2. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen and Merry Christmas. Have a wonderful celebration together today. Have a good day. Thank you.